are listening to Open Mic Friday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. It's Law and Gospel on this February the 5th in the year of our Lord, 2021. And I've got some emails in front of me, and we will respond to them. Pastor Tom, I have read God's Yes and No by Walther. The Law and Gospel approach has been a real revelation. I guess it is a classicist in me that enjoys Walther. I think I can understand which sections are law and which are gospel, but I would like a fuller treatment of it so I can deepen my scriptural understanding. Here's a question I would like to ask so I can explain this understanding to someone else. What is the difference between law and gospel and fatalism? I would say that fatalism is just a cold, meaningless acceptance of the good and bad that happens to us. In other words, reality becomes meaningless because the good and the bad have no source for understanding or appreciation. Do you know how to say this without sounding as stuffy as I just put it? All the best. Well, I, first of all, really appreciate the many of you who do email me or phone me, thankful for these distinctions between law and gospel. A lot of people just don't realize that law and gospel are two different teachings in the scripture. They do complement each other. But the primary purpose of the law in regard to conversion is to make a person aware that they have sinned and are in need of a Savior who will forgive them. Once that awareness comes about by a preaching of the law, then what happens, there is a desire for hope, for comfort, for salvation. Best example I can think of right now is Peter's Pentecost sermon, where he says, you have killed the Messiah. It says the people were cut to the heart and asked, what can we do to be saved? And he talks about being baptized, something that God will do for them to receive the gift of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the law is the preaching done to show people that to some degree we all have crucified Jesus. Every time we sin, it's like putting him back on the cross. Because all that sin is, just think of the center of sin, spelling it, S-I-N. It's when the I becomes more important than God. And we're living in a society today where a lot of people think that what they think about God is not as necessary as what they think about themselves. They love to have a good identity in front of other people. So what's the difference between law and gospel and fatalism? If you're an evolutionist, well, then you're a fatalist because God 
isn't needed in the picture for evolution. It just took millions of years for the universe to come into being and for the earth to come into being. But if you read good creationists, you will come to understand that the earth is such a tremendous gift from God that the way it works, you're not gonna find that on any other planet throughout the entire universe. The distance from the sun, the kind of atmosphere the earth has, the effects of the moon on the earth. I mean, we could go on with a hundred items that have to be in perfect place for the earth that we have it right now to have human life on it. And that all occurred on the sixth day of creation when God had prepared the earth and Adam and Eve, therefore, were put on the earth. So we don't believe in fatalism that we can't understand why things are happening. And the Bible even talks about that. In this week's Old Testament reading from Isaiah 40, God is talking to the people through Isaiah. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? And then there's a description of God. To whom then will you compare God that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And then he attacks the fatalism of Jacob and Israel. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? See, that's the experience that human beings have because they can't understand what God is doing a lot of times. And that's why verse 28 of Isaiah 40 is so important. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Boy, that's really important. All false teachers attempt to search out God's understanding and to give some kind of rational reason why God does what he does. But there are too many experiences we as human beings have where we cannot figure out what God is doing. And that's because he's unsearchable. Remember, we are told that we are to be like newborn infants desiring the milk of the word. A newborn infant 
before they receive, let's say, milk from a bottle, they don't say, hey, is that pasteurized? Is that regular milk? Is it chocolate milk? Is it buttermilk? Uh, what temperature is it? No. They just take the bottle and drink it. So also, we are not to search out God's reasons for what he does. Perhaps many of that will become clear when we are in heaven, because we will have a different mind than we have here on earth. Our minds on earth are puny. It's, it's kind of like a child. I used to love to play tricks on my kids. I would, um, when they were really young, of course, I would take them into a room where there was a light on the ceiling in the center of the room, and I would have my back up against the light switch. And I said, how do we get this light to bring light into the room? And of course, they couldn't figure it out. They were only two or three years old. And I said, well, all you have to do is say, light, turn on. And then I would use my back to turn on the light switch. Well, it was amazing to them. They attempted to do the same thing. Light turned on, but none of it turned on. In, in other words, like God is to us, to the kids, my understanding was unsearchable. They couldn't figure it out. Now, of course, it wasn't long before we explained electricity as best we could and how light switches turn on lights so that in case they were in a dark room, they would know what to do. But that takes more than a brain of two or three years old can understand. It takes some time in teaching. There is no brain here on earth except for that of Jesus Christ that can understand why God does what he does. We don't believe in fatalism. You want to be an evolutionist and believe that? That's fine. Well, it's really not fine because it's contrary to the word of God. But we believe that God has a reason for everything he does, but a lot of times that reason is hidden from us. Now, sometimes it's not. I mean, what other religion has a personal God who becomes a human being in order to die for your sins. That's totally unreasonable. And yet that's what God gives as a reason for sending Jesus to be incarnated, become a human being, and go to the cross and pay for our sins. So there we have an understanding, but that's really not sufficient to make sense out of it because we are therefore now becoming believers in believing what God says he does, even when he gives us a reason. So second email, dear Tom, your program included thoughts on not being afraid of God's vengeance. A pastor I listen to quite often leaves me wondering about that. For instance, he preached on Matthew 3, doing a really good job of presenting repentance 
as turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Also, that it is God's desire that all men turn from their sins and turn to Christ for forgiveness. But in Matthew 3.10, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John pictures us as trees with an axe poised to chop us down if we do not produce fruit. The fruit is a changed lifestyle for the better. Such a lifestyle is the result of the repentance that God has brought into our lives. Now, that's what the pastor was saying, that the fruit is a changed lifestyle for the better. The email writer goes on. Is God speaking to an impenitent or a penitent heart? Does the Acts represent judgment day for the impenitent as well as the penitent who has not produced good fruit? Bible Belt Christianity never lets penitent sinners out from under the law. It's as though there is no confidence that the gospel will produce good fruit. But penitent Christians still need the law to motivate them. Am I being too picky about threatening Christians with some kind of judgment if they do not produce good works? And then the letter is signed. Well, I would say you're not only being too picky, you're being too unbiblical. Uh, let, let me read a couple of things that the pastor had said that about the law, that Bible Belt Christianity never lets penitent sinners out from under the law. It is though there is no confidence that the gospel will produce good fruit, but penitent Christians still need the law to motivate them. Well, that is dead wrong when it comes to Christianity. The law does have motivation. You can use the law to motivate people. For example, parents do this all the time. If you're going to be playing baseball after school, you need to be home by 5 o'clock because that's the time we all eat. And if you're not home by five, then you will not be able to watch television that night. I mean, there were all kinds of little rules that my parents set up, but they always had a consequence if we did not obey the rules. That is a preaching of the law, so to speak. And we are motivated to be home because why? We want to watch television. You see, the law motivates in one way only, and that is out of self-interest. And you can motivate people to pay their taxes, to stay the speed limit, and many other things, or else they're going to have bad consequences. 
But that's not the motivation that we find in Christianity. The law does not motivate us to do good works in a proper sense. Instead, the gospel motivates us. For, for example, when I was a child, oh, about 10, 12 years old, I had certain tasks to do, like cutting the lawn. And I didn't like cutting the lawn. I would wait till the end of the week. Maybe it would rain, and then I'd have an excuse why I didn't have to cut the lawn. But then when I got married and had kids and we would visit home, and I could see that the lawn needed cutting, then I would make sure that the lawn was cut. Now, why was I doing that? Because of love for my parents. I didn't want them to have to go out. They were older, and they would hire somebody to cut the lawn, so we would save them some money and go out and do it. You see, what I was motivated by was not when I was a kid, if I didn't cut the lawn, I might not be able to use the car that night. So instead, now I'm cutting the lawn out of a proper motivation of love. The law accuses us, but never motivates us properly. In other words, people attempt to obey the law because of this strange thing that the axe represents judgment day for the impenitent as well as the penitent who has not produced good fruit. Now that phrase itself is unbiblical. It is impossible for the penitent not to produce good fruit. Why? Jesus talks about what is proper fruit. And you know what he says is proper fruit? Faith in him. He doesn't talk about good works. It's kind of like, how is a child becoming a child of the parents? Do they do it because of all the good works that they're doing? Did I become more of a child of my parents because I would cut the lawn, maybe do the dishes, take out the garbage, clean my room? No, I already was their child because of their love towards me and all children are children of the parents, either because of being begotten or being adopted. The good works follow your relationship. So if you are penitent, that means you are sorry over your sins, you're contrite over your sins, and you look to God for help. That is a wonderful thing that God gives us in order that you can now hear the words after the confession. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto you. And in the stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So that's really 
an important message that needs to come about when we're talking about the distinctions between law and gospel. It's easy when you're reading a text to decide if something is law or something is gospel. If there is a demand that God says you must meet, then that's law. If there is a gift that God desires to give you that you do not deserve, such as the forgiveness of sins, that's gospel. Nobody comes to faith by trying to follow the law. Because when you attempt to follow the law, you are always falling short of the demands of God. In, in fact, a number of people recently, because I had a little broadcast on this, is what is so significant about Christianity that makes it different than any other religion in the world is by nature, people are asking, what's going to happen when I die? And the answer that is found in your experience here on earth, you will be rewarded with a great life after you die if you do proper good works. And that's how you get ahead. You pass all the tests and you graduate to the next grade. You do really good at work, you get promoted. You're really nice to a date, you go out and you may get married. That's the way the world, the temporal world works on the basis of your works. So you see, people just assume that's true about heaven. You can graduate to heaven depending on your works. And this is so sad because there's nobody who can do works perfectly. And so because you fall short of the glory of God, that means doing works perfectly, the way of salvation is not obedience, but faith. This is really hard for the world to understand, that somebody who can be a terrible sinner, which includes all of us, that we are therefore saved through believing the promises of the gospel, including that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and that was all to prepare believers for also coming into heaven. So I'm being told that when you properly understand the distinctions between law and gospel, a great comfort comes over you. Why? Because the burden of having to obey the law perfectly is removed. Can you imagine parents telling a child, well, you can stay in the house, you can have dinner, you can sleep in the bed, you can have new clothes, if you do everything we tell you. Now, you know what happens with those children. They love to leave the house as soon as they're able to. Maybe at 16 years old or 18 years old, they don't want to stay around. 
because it's such a burden to have the assurance that salvation is mine and that I am a loving child of my parents. That's what happens when law and gospel are mingled. When the law says that the fruit of your faith is good works, whereas in reality, you can't even do good works in a family until you are born or adopted into that family. Similarly with Christianity, you cannot even do good works until when? Until you are part of a Christian, a penitent Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, and at that point, you have nothing to fear and you have total assurance of salvation. And God even gives that assurance in the waters of baptism. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Just read Romans 6 to talk about the importance of baptism. And for adults who are confirmed, then they receive the very body and blood of Christ as an assurance for the forgiveness of sins and heaven as their home. That's what law and gospel is all about. And therefore, on Monday's broadcast, when we take a look at one of the readings for the following Sunday, we'll be talking about how a proper understanding of law and gospel aids you in coming to a proper, not just interpretation, but application of the text for you. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks so much for listening to Open Mic Friday. Listen on Monday. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.